Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Outsource Podcast. I'm very happy to uh, have you with us today. We have a new mic setup for on uh, on me and Jonathan's end. So uh, you know, thank you to those of you who uh, sort of helped out to uh, make this happen to bring the upgrade about and hopefully it sounds good and uh you know i'll have to check it in the editing um i have no idea what we're doing but we'll continue working to make sure the podcast um sounds better uh so today i'm joined again by jonathan kim hi everyone and yash dinesh hello everybody and uh today we're going to be talk about Today we're going to be talking about uh, gaming, but we're not going to be talking about like we're not really going to be talking about like playing video games or like gaming and like the the degenerate cultural sense. Um, but we really want to talk about maybe like the the roots of where that comes from and um, the history of gaming and and what what that the real effects of what that has done. Um, to our society um, more than just like freaking Fortnite dancing or whatever that's like not that's not the main concern so um, we have a there's a number of of questions um, some topics that we'll be trying to cover uh, over the course of of this episode Um, why is culture homogenized despite an emphasis on individualism? Uh, I think this first question is one that is sort of both intuitive and relatable, right? I think um, at least at least in sort of like Western and modern industrialized culture, um, there is this emphasis on, on like being yourself uh, or, or being whoever you can be and how special you and unique you are and then at the same time, it feels that um, everyone is like very similar. Um, that everyone's tastes are are like the differences in everyone's taste is so small that pretty much like everyone almost has the same taste. Everyone has the same taste in things like clothing and music. Um, and so there's this sort of dichotomy of everyone says that individual is important, but then we don't actually really see that happening um, in reality. Um, and so, so why is that? And and we'll hopefully be sort of getting into why that is. Another question we'll look at is, you know, why does it feel like life is just a game? Uh, is this just a saying, a catchphrase that people say, or is it really true that life is just a game? I think that oftentimes people will say things like, "Oh, life is just a game," as like a sort of like narcissistic joke, but then not really consider its implications and not really consider whether this is actually the case or not or you know where this idea is sort of coming from so we'll be addressing that today as well why do video games have such an impact on modern society that gaming is replacing you know previous uh pastimes of things like drugs smoking and sex because if you look at statistics for young people not that we're going to place a huge amount of importance on statistics but you know, you look at things like polling and surveys. They say that you know that the that the youth are disproportionately more interested in games now 
while interest in things like drugs and sex are decreasing for for this generation right and so is it just a matter of you know just kids just like like fortnite more than more than more than having sex or smoking weed <laughs> um or or does this have a larger place in real um cultural cultural trends and uh central planning right and so we'll look at all of these questions and more over the course of this episode but if we could sum down the real topic uh for today um i think that this is a good question to start with right and this question is or, or well maybe to hope to answer by the end of the episode the question is are you a person or are you playing a game um and to sort of really answer this question i think it's really important that we look at the history of games and and where it really comes from um especially like the modern game because the modern game is very different from games as they were you know hundreds or thousands of years ago um right obviously we know from things like archaeology um that people have been playing games for a very long time um uh you know and and everyone is at least i think it's common knowledge that games like you know chess um or or chinese chess or or you know whatsoever have been played for a very long time um uh, or or even to go further back in history they're you know they're just like the oldest cultures have like very have maybe more basic games of like things that pass the time or entertainment or or even like sports or competition all of this is a has been a part of culture for a very long time and so when i considered sort of um maybe the characteristics of these older games right these uh historical games uh as they were sort of in sort of like their first forms or iterations um i felt that they could sort of be described in in two different ways right so either they would be um a competition of control or a competition of luck right and in terms of luck we have things like um uh like the games which are mentioned in like the bible right where like roman soldiers would cast cast lots for um for Jesus clothing when he was on the cross right um and it's just it it's like a you know and we have like these old records of of, of essentially gambling right of where you you would just you know people would throw like sticks or rocks um and you know and this is a thing in like native american culture as well um right where you would you would cast some collection of things and then how those things you know showed up you know like die in yahtzee right it's like depending on what results you get that determines like your your score or or whatsoever right um and so you have like these luck-based games where you can't really control the outcome unless you're cheating right and then it's a it's um and then you have also competitions of control where we have uh, more complex games like um like chess or or checkers or or chinese chess or whatsoever where there's you know you have like a board um and in order to defeat your opponent you have to you know outsmart them with strategy or or whatsoever 
and then I don't know. I guess I guess maybe there's a third, a third description that I didn't really consider earlier, which is just like skill, right? Which is something you would have more in sports. Um, and then obviously, like different games would combine uh, these three things, you know, skill, control, and luck, to like different extents, right? Uh, in, in some games have more of a luck aspect some games have more of a, a physical fitness or skill aspect and some games really focus on this idea of control um, and when we get into this idea of sort of more modern games right obviously we still have games in all of these aspects right um, but we'll go on to sort of see that to a large extent um, there has been a significant departure from the way that games used to be and the way that we used to understand um, like fun and entertainment and this idea of competing against another person or another team in order to win something um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get back into that later right but I sort of just want to establish this idea because that is going to be sort of fundamental to the other historical events that we talk about very shortly. Um, but it's also going to be very different from games in the modern sense. Right, so if we move on from the history of games, I mean, unless you two have anything to say about something this, you know, at this point. Uh, I think, I think it's just important to keep in mind Oh, go ahead, Yash. Oh, no, you go ahead, man. Okay, just just something short. I think it's important to keep in mind um, the kind of structure and limitations of the games in past and how, let's say for games of control and games of luck, that there would be a kind of board, um, that you would have physical pieces uh, that are involved, and in games of skill, especially physical skill, you might just like end up using your body or you have like a court or something like that um but we can and we'll talk about this very shortly but we can see the kind of setting in which games and the if you were a game maker back then how would you approach game making um and the types of games back then compared to what kind of format what's the perspective of games now um so just keep that in mind um that it's not necessarily that they are more simple, but the perspective is very different. And go, go ahead, Yash. Yeah, no, it was very much similar to what you said. Uh, I really like when Caleb sort of described games as being sort of a summation of three elements of control, luck, and skill. And I think most games out there now or in the past, you know, have um, they, they combine the three of them. So I think it would be interesting to look at sort of different games and uh, the different ways in which you know control, luck, and skill are implemented and how much they matter. But um, yeah, other than that, no, nothing else. Okay, so if, if we move on from the history of games to specifically the history of wargaming, um, what wargaming is... Uh, especially in the modern sense, it's like the simulation of, of war, essentially. Um, and, and that sort of manifests in, in different ways. 
Um, but we'll start. We'll just start with with um, the history, and then and then talk more about uh, what that looks like today. Um, but the the real sort of first um, the real sort of first uh, at least like formal presentation of of the wargaming idea. Um, is actually by H.G. Wells, the science fiction author, um, the guy who wrote War of the Worlds. And in 1913, H.G. Uh, Wells wrote uh, a little book called Little Wars. And I'll read the full title for you guys because it's insane. The full title is Little Wars, parentheses, a game for boys from 12 years of age to 150. And for that more intelligent sort of girl who likes boys' games and books. End parentheses. <laughs> uh, so, so the, right, so this is a book by H.G. Wells. He wrote it in 1913. And it's this little book where H.G. Wells, like, went to his friend's house. And then they had a bunch of, like, of, like, of, like, like, little, like, war models. And so they, they decided to like make a game where they would pretend to be like generals and like use all these models to like fight fight out a war and then and then he established in this book like all of the rules by which um, like you would move your troops and how they would attack each other and stuff like this right and and so um, I think obviously like this kind of idea is sort of um, very maybe basic or elementary. To us now it's like this idea that was like oh you would like have this sort of like um you know you would like as kids pretend to have this kind of thing and then you know sort of play out these sequence of events as if you know as if it was real but uh, i mean it's not just this idea of play right because he is establishing you know what is a really a very detailed set of rules where he's really trying to think about you know all these eventualities that could happen in war and he's really trying to make sure that um, his like little war game is sort of as realistic as possible because he wants to sort of uh, embrace this idea of like military strategy and make it possible to like um, actually kind of simulate or uh, realistically simulate the uh, war through like these all these like little game pieces and action figures right and in, in the modern day of course we have you know all sorts of video games based around this idea of strategy you know where it's not just um, chess pieces on a chessboard right but but we have um, you know all all these complex video games where we can you know not only model like different battles, but you know whole wars between different civilizations, right? And it's like games like it's like Civilization that you know Zuckerberg likes to play, where you know you get to like control like these big civilizations and have these large scale wars, um, and you know go very very in depth into things like unit strategy and and movements and all this kind of thing. So so where all that comes from is really this book by H. G. Wells, and he's really the sort of person to uh, he's really the sort of person, the first person to put it all into print. Um, and so, I think part of what's interesting about this whole thing, I mean, because 
it's just like a stupid game, right? And it's just like this dumb guy with his his stupid book title. <laughs> but H.G. Wells was also um, sort of a self-proclaimed pacifist, right? And um, and so I'm, I mean, I'm, I would never, I wouldn't like debate someone about whether or not he was actually a pacifist. Um, and and it's just like what people say about him, right? Um, but in this book, um, I, you know, and I'll be forthcoming. I I didn't really read the whole thing because I didn't I didn't really care that much about the details of his stupid war game. But in this book, um, especially in like the the last chapter and the appendix, he he talks about um, his real intentions of thing, and 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 he talks about specifically that he really doesn't like war. Um, is that he doesn't like war because it's it's um, you know people die and, and it's very extreme and it's sad um, it's so excessive and you know he says all these things about war but then he also talks about how much he really likes like war strategy um, and how like the the you know and, and like the the mental how like the mental competition of war is like so interesting um, and, and in the appendix that he wrote I believe after the fact he talks about how you know, people read his book about his war games, and then, and then like military leaders reached out to him, were like, "Oh, this is so cool," and then like asked him questions about how they could play their own little war simulations, and he was like really excited to to help them out with that. And so, you know, he says these things about not really liking war, but then he also seems to sort of contradict himself and and sort of expose himself as like. You know, it's like, if you really are appalled by war, you really, you know, then, like, things like being fascinated by the details and the, the strategy of war doesn't really seem to follow from that, right? And so my impression, at least, I think, and I think it really is a, a correct and meaningful interpretation of what's being said here is that it's not really that H.G. Wells has a problem with war itself. It's more if he has a problem with like the excesses of war and the extremes of war, and he, it really seems to think that if he thinks that you know if if you could only sort of eliminate all of these, uh, like inefficiencies of war, then war could be like a very, um, like to him a very like magnificent thing, right? Where where you know he really like. Uh, glorifies all these like little like all these little you know intricacies of strategy and and little troop movements and all this and um and so for me i find this very interesting because not only do we have sort of the historical basis or foundation of of war gaming and war simulation um which in the modern day is something which is uh very far evolved, um, but we also have this sort of idea of making war efficient through simulation, right? Whereas, like, if if we can get all of like the military leaders and, and and strategists to like play games and and compete in this way, then it's not just that war won't occur because obviously you aren't really addressing the root causes of war through something like a game, right? It's not really that war won't occur. But then it will change the ways in which war is held, right? And that is very significant when we consider 
how wargaming has changed the modern day. Um, if we move forward, can I say something real quick yeah, about? So um, this is actually quite interesting because with it being written in 1913, this is almost on the eve of the First World War. And something that's significant about the First World War is that this marks, number one, um, a war in which the, the communications, so like newspapers and stuff like that, uh, that kind of publication is spread all over the world. And number two, the kind of warfare changed from before World War One to then in World War One. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but it, it mostly changed from being a movement kind of base warfare to a even more strategy based warfare. And we can see that with the inclusion of trenches um, in World War One. And so even more so strategy was a huge, huge thing in World War One. Um, and like Caleb mentioned, this comes at a time, again, in more context, following the mature time frame of the Industrial Revolution. So people are already thinking how to make things more efficient, how to make things um, more sophisticated. And so it's not like we're saying that H.G. Wells was like the first guy ever to come up with a war strategy or war simulation thing. Like, obviously he's not. But this comes at an extremely important time where, number one, the global... Um, community are, are talking to each other so you have something that is that, that can be circulated you have a prolific author who writes about war gaming um, and then you have generals and and uh, military leaders who are open to a new kind of approach to strategy and simulation um, so I just wanted to provide some of that context because it's not only like we're saying that you know this guy like wrote a book and had some generals like talk to him is like this is a very interesting and significant point in time um and and we can very much see as we're talking further uh the impact of this work because it's not just like some little tiny book with absolutely no significance uh, right uh you know thank you jonathan for placing that in context um I, I, I think we could have talked about World War II, but we've talked a bit about World War II before and uh, on this on this podcast, and you know we've talked about uh, the application of things like statistics to making war more efficient. That really started, we really started to see most in, in World War II. Um, I'm gonna sort of skip over that because I, I really want to uh, establish a contrast between these early forms of war gaming and what we are sort of looking at now right and so right now in the modern day at least in to my knowledge the the most complex and quote unquote realistic sort of board game physical war gaming simulation that you can get is the rand corporation hegemony game and so what rand corporation i'm pretty sure we talked about rand corporation before right at least probably in passing. I mean, Rand Corporation is just like this CIA think tank with its roots in like like Lockheed Martin post-World War II. And we don't really have to get into it. But, you know, they're like a think tank and they do all this um, studies about all kinds of things, especially war. 
but they created this this board game called hegemony with a, a d is in like hedging hedging your bets so it's like hedge plus hegemony right and the whole idea of um what it's kind of appropriate to call a board game but it's really like so convoluted that i don't know if you could really have fun playing it um they've come up with this board game because they want to train people like policymakers or american military leaders they like want to teach them the dynamics of war through a board game right and so they have like what essentially is a, a very convoluted game where you play the United States and then other people um, it's, it's not a truly competitive game because they're supposed to quote unquote facilitate your learning uh, but uh, is a game where you play the United States and then you have and then like all of these other countries are like doing you know all of these sort of policy things and then you know like like there's like terrorists attacking you know whatever middle eastern country and then like there's like civil unrest in like this african country and then as as america and the hegemony you have to like manage everything and then you have to like put resources into like r&d so that you maintain like a technical superiority and there's like all these aspects of of um a sort of like the modern american military and political science um, like sort of condensed into like this video game uh, not not sorry not video game this board game where um, everything is like condensed into like these like little cards where like you you play like event cards and then like Iran launches a nuclear weapon or something um, uh, which I don't know it could be fun or it could not be fun but the, the real thing I mean actually Jonathan you have some experience with this game right yeah, I actually, um, during my time at university, I actually played a shortened down version of the game be before they released it, uh, just as they were testing the game in its final stage with university students. So, was it fun? <laughs> the shortened down version was okay. Uh, we spent, a p and by shortened down version, we spent seven hours playing it, <laughs> um, and we didn't I feel like we didn't really accomplish a lot. Um, so, no, it wasn't fun in the same way that maybe Monopoly or or Risk is fun. Um, if anything, it's not exactly a board game, like, like a game to have fun with. Mm -hmm. It's, like, very much a simulation. Um, so it's not like you're playing Civ or something like right. that, where it's kind of like, yeah, you're the leader of this little thing and you get to decide X, Y, and Z stuff. It's, it's extremely technical. Um, and so I think for most folks, it, it would not be fun to play. Yeah, so I've actually read the, the, like the, the game manual, like the handbook for this, uh, this board game. I read it cover to cover about a year ago. Um, and actually, if, if uh, and it, it was like free on like the website, right? And actually, like, I think if anyone really wants like an insight into the perspective of the American government and American Defense Department on like how war is supposed to be held um, like what you know and you know what kind of things they're thinking about when they consider foreign policy if, so if you if you want an insight into things like um, American military science and American foreign policy like go ahead and and go and check out 
<laughs> the handbook to this board game because it was actually very very insightful for me at least to look at the ways um, in which especially the American government has converted its uh, military action and expenditure into a sort of pseudoscience such that it you know it can be pretty easily converted into a game um, and, and and the handbook is always very clear when something has been oversimplified and when something has been intentionally like kept as realistic as possible um, and so yeah it, it, it is very interesting but again um, the real reason I'm bringing this up is to contrast to some extent um, how how they started you know 100 years ago this guy playing with like little figures in like his I don't know at like a dinner party with his friend um, and, and we see actually in today's world um, the use of, of this kind of simulation at a very real level to teach the American military strategists uh, at the highest level right and, and, and you know America just loves bring this kind of resource to other countries like you know Korea or, or, or Singapore or Ukraine or, or whoever the heck that they're training because they see this as a way to teach you know American uh, political science right um, and so having touched on the physical aspect of wargaming or, or or wargaming in, in the physical realm of, of things like board games, um, I think it's very important that we also touch on things like computer simulation, right? Because it's not just that you can play these very um, complex strategic video games like Civilization or um, Age of Empires or, or whatever, right? It's not just that you can play these kind of games, but militaries are spending a huge amount of resources on the ability to simulate war, uh, you know, using using computers and using technology, right? Um, and I don't really know if I'm, it's okay that I'm gonna say this, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's okay. So I'm just gonna talk about this anyway. Um, I know that in the Singapore military, they <laughs> were using computers to not only simulate war but to simulate war in real time. And so they had these big server banks at a at a place that I know where it's at, but I'm not gonna tell you where it's at. at in a, they, have, they have these big server banks in a, um, in a building, in a military building on a, on a military base. And what those banks do 24 hours a day, seven days a week, is simulate war in real time. Um, and so uh, they have all these people who I guess are trained to like run the simulation and um, what happens is they put in all these whole whole suite of circumstances um, I imagine modeling the Singapore military against some kind of you know against whatever foreign actor they choose and then they just model war and and they model it for for weeks and weeks and weeks until it's over and then they set it up again and they do the simulation again, right? And so it's not just this idea of like, oh, wargaming simulation is like, oh, haha, video games, oh, haha, let's, uh, you know, let's like train 
these uh, military strategists. It's not just like this fun thing where, um, where you know, like military leaders are like playing chess or something. Like you read about, like historically of like civil war generals playing chess or something. I don't know. It's not just for fun. It's not just a game. the The reality is that a huge amount of belief and trust is placed in the system of like, oh, this is important and this is going to contribute to our understanding of war, right? And it's not it's not just that, but it is going to help us such that if we are ever in a war, these simulations are going to show us like what's going to happen and, and what we're supposed to do and contribute to our understanding of, of uh, like how to defeat the enemy, right? Wait, Caleb, really quickly. Yeah, go for it. This is the program that we use, right? Like this. No, 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 no. This is not. No. No, no, no. It's not. It's something else. So it's not the thing that we have personal experience with. I know about oh. this through someone. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is you. yeah. So the the military has very expensive. Yeah, yeah. Has, gotcha. I don't know. They, I I don't really know. I've never seen the program. I just know that it exists. I also yeah, don't yeah. know how recent. I don't know how recent this program is either. I don't know if it's like. If like they've been running the same program for twenty years, or if they have like updated stuff, uh, I'm sure the United States just has is just like redeveloping this stuff every year. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, sure no, they I... have all these engine, these computer scientists at like Lockheed and Boeing working on this stuff, twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this, and I said um, that uh, I heard that we got it from the U.S., but um, yeah, that's not my my problem. Anyways. Yeah. So, I, I guess that that is a a fine segue for us from uh, war gaming into the role play game, because um, I think Yash, what you were asking about is this thing that we played for like an hour yeah. in the army, right? Which was like Memories. a it was like an Arma two mod. It was an Arma two mod where they had loaded in. Um, like all of like the Singapore like like they had loaded in like Singaporean like tanks and armored vehicles yeah. and and uniforms weapons. and weaponry and then what they did when we were training is they brought us into this room and they were like okay you're gonna go and like play this game uh, right now <laughs> and so so we when like we're supposed to like do all of the things that we have been learning in real life and then just like do them in the game also. But then because we were doing it in a game, we could, like, actually, like, I don't know, like, like, shoot Kill. shoot people? Yeah, yeah, shoot people. I guess that's the real idea. <laughs> yeah. But, like, the game, like, was terrible and, like, didn't work. Um, and I didn't oh, really yeah. have anything interesting, like, come out of it. No, um, I, I don't know if your experience was different. I mean, I didn't learn anything from I mean, it, but I just had a lot of fun with it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I sure mean, it wasn't supposed what my to be squad so did is we've my squad figured out that there were like lean buttons, and then we were just like walking around <laughs> spamming the lean buttons, yeah, like left leaning and left and right, yeah, yeah. um, and then <laughs> yeah, I, I remember and, like the staff minutes. sergeant who was trying to teach us to play the game like didn't know how to use the game either, and, and so we were just like <laughs> walking around yeah. spamming the buttons. Uh, yeah, I, I remember five minutes into my one somebody just threw a grenade and that was it you know 
we, we just shouted it after that. It, it's like five minutes. We, we just sit down at the computer and this one guy <laughs> pulls out a grenade and we're like, how do you even do that, bro? We didn't know. <laughs> it just kills all of us. Oh, you guys and didn't do like, the tutorial? We spent like a ton bro, of time in the bro, tutorial. The tutorial was so long. It was like obnoxiously long. Like we were there <laughs> the for probably an hour. We spent 20 did you minutes on the tutorial. But did you guys get to the point where you could like spam, you could like get into armored vehicles? In the bro, tutorial? No. <laughs> we were so bad. Oh, bro. bro. <laughs> <laughs> they were you like, didn't you even finish the tutorial. <laughs> no, they're like, forget it. It's fine. You guys can't do it. So just, just do what you know. And <laughs> we skipped the tutorial, but it was fun. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I don't think that, that, was, that wasn't the only element of uh, wargaming that we had. Because you, you remember whenever we went for like training exercises and we do like, say, for example, urban operations. Oh, that is uh, true. You'd, you'd get like your um, what squad leader to bring out like piece of paper and like he'd use like um, things to like, uh, I, I don't know, like keychains to represent you. And like he would show you how to move within the building and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. We, pretty, yeah. we had like little whiteboards with like all these. Yeah, magnets, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah that, and then we would have fun. to like move around the magnets before yeah, we went and like uh, actually executed Carried the exercise out. you know and then yeah. like sometimes like the person would have no idea what was going on <laughs> so <laughs> it would give the instructor an opportunity to like yell at them before the exercise had even started um, yeah because they could even like move the magnets around properly yeah, yeah. I, rem- I, I uh, remember I, yeah go ahead there, I mean you, you can go ahead and tell your story if you want no, nah, no, nah, it was, it was, I think it was, I was just going to say, I think it was really effective because even though you think you're just moving a bunch of magnets on, on like a whiteboard or whatever, having that sort of visual representation to, to sort of focus on and to sort of guide you, uh, provide you with sort of a, a set of guidelines that you follow uh, when the operation gets carried out, which I think was really helpful because, you know, talking somebody through um a room clearing is all good and stuff but when you actually approach the door you know how are you going to get in which side of uh uh the room do you get in from and where do you go within the room it's it's not easy to say it uh through words so having that really helped and um as simple as it was it was definitely effective and i think yeah there was one element of wargaming that really helped during our time don't know if you think the same way though um, I mean, yeah, I uh, I probably would agree. I think that as an yeah. instructional tool for teaching the, um, I mean, even just to convey what is supposed to happen and, and what is going on, especially when yeah. you have so many people moving around at the same time, um, Correct, it yeah. was certainly it certainly made sense, you know. It, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, well, thanks. Thanks for bringing me up. That bringing that up, I I I had not even like thought of that. Um, no problem. So yeah, so th- this is a great transition from wargaming into the RPG or or the role playing game because it really I think this really brings home this idea of you know you're not of of there's this very natural logical progression of you don't just want to simulate everything on a large scale you want to directly involve the individual so that they understand their role uh within the game 
right? Mm. And so it's not just this idea of like, oh, there's all of these pieces moving around, but you as an individual come into this role as, you know, the military strategist or the or or the soldier, and then you play that role, and then in that way, um, like you you really like become that role, right? Because the the purpose of as you said before, this like instructional technique was not, you know, it's not just to talk about what is going to happen, but it's so that you can uh, uh, internalize what you're supposed to do, and then, you know, in real life, do exactly um, as you and in, intend in to, or is in, as is intended of you, uh, right? Um, and so the the history of the role playing game. Um, uh, is actually from and, and Jonathan correct me if I remember this wrong but it's actually um, from the OSS right which is the predecessor of the American CIA um, and it comes out post World War II and what happens is these like OSS handlers um this like OSS handler wants to teach like his his like agents um, how to do their jobs properly, and so he like he comes up with like all of these like role playing games uh, where his agents will like will like just like pretend to <laughs> as in like he he's like had like all these tra- training scenarios um, where he would like bring up like all these scenarios and then like the agents would have to like go through the scenario and demonstrate their ability to uh like be do their job properly right and and it would be things like you know it would be things like uh convincing someone to be an informant or uh you know i I don't know whatever the heck those those people were doing um and so i think that's really at least from what I've read so far, that's really the origin of of this kind of RPG type thing in uh, in like modern history. It's this idea of like um, you know, it's not only that we want to it's not only that they want to teach people to do something a certain way, but they also want them to internalize these ideas of what is acceptable, what is unacceptable. Right, like they want you to to condition you so that these things just sort of happen naturally. Right, so that when you're an actual OSS OSS agent out in the field, you're not thinking about like, oh, is it okay if I lie to this person? You know, if is it okay if I like manipulate this person to like give me information on like the Russian embassy, or you know whatever? Um, you just like go and do it because it's like your job, right? And because like you already did all this training, um, and it's like already internalized. Um, Can I give a little more context yeah, yeah, for that? For so even to take it back a little bit more, and it's now I'm realizing like it's so interesting because even with H.G. Wells um, writing the book in 1913, at this at the ex- exact same time period, um, we have these German philosophers and psychoanalysts who are um, developing something called psychodrama and group psychotherapy, and basically the thought behind this is that you can create a therapy session you can have people understand each other better by having a group session but not only having a group session having a group session in which people 
role play. So like improv, people assume different roles or assume roles um, of other people in the group. And the assumption is that with people assuming other people's roles, like they'll understand each other better. Um, but what was interesting was that the OSS picked up on this because they noticed that a lot of their agents were, um, were, were double-crossing them and that they didn't know how to do their jobs, like Caleb was saying. And so they were thinking, okay, how exactly can we instill, um, how, how can we instill our, our ideas, our morals, um, how can we homogenize these spies in order to have this idea um, and go out into the workforce and their workforces to you know be deployed internationally. One is in Italy, another is in Russia, but still not lose that aspect of themselves, which is their loyalty to their country. Um, and so actually they employed several, uh, several of these psychoanalysts and what these psychoanalysts did was they took these spies and they locked them in the cabin for three days and basically had them role play. Like they said, you're a spy in Italy. You this, like just eat, sleep, and drink this identity for three days, and we're just gonna lock you in here. No, like no breaks at all. Um, and as I'm saying this, it, it might sound almost like a D and D campaign that happened for like three days nonstop, where you just assume a role and you and you get you know tasks and you have to interact with you know NPCs or or you know those kinds of people non-real people, non-people who are on your side. Um, and so it's not only just thinking about how this RPG is a result um, and, and applied with these spies, but also the, the context of the origins of it, which is not, not immediately applicable to the military but just thinking about how do we make a nicer society how do we have people understand each other um and when you really think about this idea it, it goes back to an idea of central planning of that um how can we have a population a group of people quote unquote understand each other have an understanding of each other have similar um ideas about life ideas about morality so it's not you know like rpgs are not solely something that um kind of highlight the individual aspects of people and this is something that caleb you brought up in your question all the way at the beginning is like why is there such an uh, an emphasis on individualism but then everything's so homogenized but rather that this kind of group psychotherapy, this group play, this role-playing thing, in the end is not really heightening your individual you know, differences because in the end you're playing within a certain set of parameters, usually with some kind of task or purpose. Um, and it's those parameters, it's those tasks or purpose, and it's this feeling of working with other people um, to achieve that, that creates this homogenized layer. Um, despite people you know being different and maybe thinking differently or or wanting to think differently that is a a great segue i think for us to move from sort of the history of of gaming especially in its origins in things like uh the military and war simulation and to begin to 
to transition into what that looks like for you know normal civilian society right because you have um, all of these sort of gaming simulation ideas in things like the military or uh, covert government service um, and eventually you know they they just realize that it all works right it's like ran ran corporation would not be making like a stupid board game if they weren't convinced that that this kind of gamified thinking is effective um, on a deeper level right and if you look to you know actual central planning if you look to how things like uh, the management of the general populace is considered um, actually you know you just see these same ideas of game management um, and conditioning through uh, through role play, uh, um, and again, like 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 their military, the the use of new ideas or new technology is always given its proof of concept through through military application, right? And so it would be an incorrect conclusion for anyone to think like, oh well. That's just, you know, wargaming is just for war, right? It's like these games and simulations, you know, they might model, um, they might model, you know, what, you know, things like strategy or, or, or these, these, you know, competition-like movements that you would have in an actual battle, but, you know, no one would ever apply those ideas to, to normal life, but that, that would just be a wrong assumption, an incorrect assumption, uh, because again, you know, these ideas of gaming uh, rest in like these fundamental psychoanalysts ideas of things like game theory or rational theory, these ideas not of, you know, the dynamics of war, but the dynamics of the human psyche, right? And it's like, because um, things like politics have this approach to people and this is how they view people, things like gaming are seen is it precisely why things like the gaming and 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 uh and simulation is seen as an effective approach to uh to governance um so if we look now at the gamification of society and 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 what's it has done to things like culture well can we talk a little bit about yeah. game theory before yeah, 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 we, yeah. we head on to that absolutely um and I know that we've mentioned game theory before, obviously, in, in previous episodes, but I think uh, I just want to bring up context again because I feel that context is really important in this episode because at the same time, we have H.G. Wells and Little Wars, and we have group therapy and psychoanalysts and psychodrama. We have the work um, of cybernetics and game theory. And the specific application, the, the, the state it's in right now and the application in which it, it um, manifests in, in World War II and, and after World War II is specific to these simulations. Is um, If you're not familiar with game theory, if you've ever heard of the prisoner's dilemma or, or maybe like the game of chicken in which there's two cars coming at each other on the same road and one of them has to swerve. Well... According to game theory, and game theory is, is trying to solve this problem 
mathematically by uh, trying to calculate the, the rationale of each of the driver, um, trying to calculate that, trying to understand what are the influences at play in order to uh, have a desired outcome or to move away from an undesirable outcome. Um, and so an application in World War II and after World War II, it's looking at these simulations and trying to, because if, if you're just playing games and you're, and you're kind of like just have a log of what people are doing, there's nothing to analyze there because it's just a record. Um, but the analysis comes in trying to predict what people are doing, trying to quote unquote understand what people's, um, their motivations are so that let's say if you have an AI that has all of that information, maybe hundreds, thousands of hours of people playing games and you're able to quote unquote codify that into an algorithm of choice and you put, you put a person, a, a normal person against this AI, right? In theory, this is what the game theory is trying to achieve. In theory, the game theory AI is able to predict the individual's um, choices and able to kind of move them into a specific path. Um, and so I think that's an appropriate segue as when we're talking about systems of control and how we can see that manifest in in our everyday life. Because even with the military aspect, even with even the simulations of uh, in Singapore that Caleb was talking about, it's not like these computer AI are just like randomly making choices. These choices are calculated. But it's how, how do you make something that is like a choice, a rationale calculated? It's with variables, it's with calculations, it's with algorithms, and that's the basis of game theory. Sorry to like go on a tangent there. No, uh, I always appreciate, you know, fleshing out the context and fleshing out the ideas and making everything more clear. Uh, the thing about rational theory and the thing about game theory is, is that um, it really makes the control of the of the general populace and and influencing people's behavior. It really makes it very simple. Uh, because at the end of the day, all you need to do to get people to do a certain thing is to make it appear to them that it is in their self-interest, right? Like all you have to do is present a certain choice or a certain way of life and present it as being whatever, like being the most in their self-interest, right? And then people, and then it just becomes natural, right? Like people won't even make, think about that choice anymore. Um, uh, because people will always sort of I mean the vast majority of people are not intentional enough to really second guess uh, the appearance of, of choices right um, and, and again like this is very evident in things like the actions of the CIA and their manipulation um, historically of, of people like uh, Informants or, or people that they want to, to manipulate, it's like they would, uh, you know, just go and manipulate their perception of reality such that um, whatever it is that they wanted those people to do uh, appeared to be in their self interest, right? And so when we get into the management of society on a grand scale, 
um, and we you get into questions like governance and central planning. You know, obviously the intricacies of individual life sort of. Um, it's not necessarily that they aren't important, but they are intentionally sort of uh, maybe eradicated or, or you know or intentionally smoothed over, right? Because at the end of the day, you know all of these intricacies are also inefficiencies, right? You know it's like if if you like to drive sixty four miles per hour instead of sixty five, then like that is, you know. Obviously, it's a minute detail, but you know, in a grand scale, in the central planning, like that is an inefficiency. Um, is something which optimally would be smoothed out so that everyone would be driving sixty-five, and then the the flow of traffic could be perfected to be truly efficient, right? You know, it's like if if all if all of the Teslas are just driving people around and nobody is driving themselves, then it's like oh well then. Now we can make the flow of traffic truly, truly efficient, right? And so, from this approach to life, um, from a central planning perspective, right, uh, um, we really see the conversion of modern life into a progression game. Okay, and we see the conversion of. Uh, sort of the key cultural aspects of life into what you could really consider to be like things like like quests um, in an RPG right um, and so I guess the best thing we can do at this point is to sort of like give some examples of, of what exactly we're trying to get at Right, because, um, you know, to some people it's going to be more intuitive than others. Uh, exactly how gamified normal life is, right? Um, but you know, it's like as a as a kid, you go to school, right? And then, you know, in school, like you have to achieve a certain score on your work at school. Right, and then maybe if you achieve certain scores, then you're going to get certain rewards, right? And then you know, I think this is especially apparent in countries like Korea or Japan, right, where there is a leaderboard. Um, where there's a leaderboard for your performance at school, right? So it's not just that you want to achieve uh, a good score on on the work that you submit at school, but you want to achieve a better score than the other students at school. Right. Um, you go through school and you you do all of this, and all of that is for the overarching goal of of getting a degree, right? And and you want to get a degree so that you can progress and you, you can go on to college, right? And in college, it's really much of the same thing. Um, and then you know, sort of after when you hit your um, graduation from undergrad, uh, you you get like a career choice. You know, you get like branching paths of character progression you know you get to choose to go either to uh, grad school or med school or law school or you know you can just like go and start working right and, you, and depending on your preferences and how you your, your like gameplay style you can choose a certain path 
and then so once you get into the corporate world and and once you start working at a at a a corporation uh, you know now there is uh things like small scale games to increase productivity so like mini games right so like maybe on like your your factory production line there are games like this is what amazon has already implemented right like if you if you move your boxes and packages around faster then you earn points and then these reward points you can use in like the and use in like the like the the company like shop and like get like amazon merch right um and you know if you you know it's not just you know like a factory line you know it's the same thing in things like larger scale um corporate firms right because it's everything is incredibly structured um it's not just like oh do do well and you will get a promotion it's like oh do well and within a certain timeline you will receive a promotion every year there's going to be a regular promotion for everyone uh because of your dedication and your you know the amount of time that you spend in the game you earn uh all of these rewards right and there will be like level up events where you know everyone will receive a promotion together because you know all of you have been working in the game and participating in the game together you know and you have camaraderie and then there's things like ranks you know there's different names for depending on your your uh your level in in the in the firm and these ranks no longer merely uh attribute to like your your role in the company it's not you're not just like a manager anymore right but you are like the you might even have like a, a a unique name for your position in the company like uh uh i don't know i'm, I'm blanking because i don't i don't internalize this like corporate crap um financial I, specialist there it versus is financial analyst yeah you know you might you you know there's like all these like differentiation between people so that you can feel like you have uh, so you this is, you have specialized your game progression and you are proceeding at a rate which is incrementally faster than other people and you are achieving more than other people um, and you're achieving lots of good things for yourself uh, and you know you might even have like a, an in 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 an in, infirm like leaderboard for like who is doing the most sales or doing the most completing the most audits or whatsoever so that you know you can be the employee of the month at your company right um and it's not i think the huge mistake that people can make here is to be like is to think that we are reversing the dynamics and it's like like and and you're thinking you're sitting there thinking like oh Caleb that's not a game it's just that games model reality and so it's really easy for you to describe reality in a gaming sense right and the whole reason that we went through all of this effort to address the history of games and and to understand the and to provide the like a a really thorough explanation of the foundation of games in the modern sense is because um, you have to understand this not just from a, a participant perspective or like the the consumer or worker perspective, but you have to understand this from like the planning perspective. Um, you have to understand that that from a from the for the people who run the corporations, the people who run the country, 
like the you know they may not sit there and necessarily think like oh we need to convert our company into like an uh, like a role playing game we need to make this like D&D they may not necessarily be thinking that but these like these like this these ideas of game theory are very fundamental to uh to like these larger ideas of management and planning and these ideas of like oh how do we get people to do what we want right because we live at a time when it is highly intuitive to accept all of these aspects of society right like it's very natural to be like oh okay i'm going to go to school and get my degree and then i'm going to go to work uh when in reality there is no fundamental reason why you should do any of these things right and a very large contributor to the fact of how natural it is to accept these these ideas as being just normal life is their conversion into what essentially is a game right the conversion of all these things to have the appearance of being in everyone's self-interest right uh, because when you have all of these goals and you're constantly achieving things you feel like you're doing things for yourself you feel like you're acting in your self-interest and this internalizes the cycle of playing the game right it conditions people to accept the game as being normal as being something which is natural uh and again allows corporations to do things like you know ask people to work overtime uh all the time you know make people work insane hours underpay them uh you know coerce people into like an unhealthy lifestyle um and people accept things like that as long as they have like you know all of their little like quest rewards and level up events uh you know and it's very helpful that uh, the corporation can just be like oh well we invest in worker health you know and they do like some workshops to teach you how to play the game more healthily and to play the game better cuz you know you aren't min-maxing well enough you know the whole problem is that you aren't playing efficiently and you are wasting effort when you play the game so you need to like min-max more so we'll like give you like a, a workshop on 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 game theory and how to play the game and then you'll play the game better and then you will be happier right like that's the answer to all of this um and Jonathan do you want to say anything at this point yeah um one thing that i would like to comment is that just because we are mentioning things like a hierarchy or ranks or stuff like that like we're not saying that oh it's their ranks therefore it's a game you know oh you you know there's a grading system therefore it's a game right like you might be sitting there and think that we're saying that but we're not saying that um but one thing if they themselves are not games but number one it's not only they themselves it's it's a it's an accumulation of all of these components fit into a system and it's a system that is completely contrived it's a system that someone planned that you have planners you have these councils that come out with guidelines for right um so it, we're not just saying that just because there are rankings or just because you have gradings that that makes it a game. It's the entire contrived system that makes it a game. 
and regardless of if you um if you agree with that if you if you think that this is just a perspective you can look at the way that it is designed and again i really want to emphasize this concept of it's designed it's not just that it kind of randomly came about that people were just like ah oh, well incentives you know they're good for people so we're just going to have them no it's that with certain and there's research like you have firms that research this how to make the best incentive system how do you best incentivize work for people is it you give them rewards is it that you give them time off like what do you do you give them more money um i just recently saw a rand um youtube video that was talking about how to um how to increase uh vaccination level for 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 the covid um vaccine and in that video they were talking about well what we need to do is we need to understand how to incentivize these people in order to make them well they didn't say make right in order to encourage them to get the vaccine but when you look at it like that it's not a discussion of uh how do we best educate people to to offer them choices of uh, vaccination choices right it's it's not really in their interest they're going into these situations with a an, a goal already in mind and it's that planning it's that intentionality that makes it a game in the same way that a game developer doesn't sit down and like randomly throw things together to make like a a point system and those kind of things like a game developer sits down and thinks i want to have this kind of point system i want to have rewards at this level and this level and really good games games that people laud over that people appreciate they make these incentives and and ranking up levels uh meaningful for the player quote-unquote meaningful for the player that the player can participate in it and they feel good um and in the same way that there's research right now like it, just like Six Sigma, Kaizen, all of these kinds of corporate models of how to do business efficiently um, is exactly like how a game developer tries to make their game progression level efficient. So when you look around you, it's not only that yeah, this is a gamer mentality, you know, it's a gamer perspective that everything is a game. It's that what is the fundamental like difference? What in what way are systems structured that is different from a video game with level ups, with skill points, with achievements like Steam achievements, things that are ultimately meaningless. You don't have to have a Steam achievement to, to play the game or to, to have fun, but people go after them like for no reason like there's no no material benefit other than clout but where does the clout come from the clout only comes from other people from the system itself rewarding self-rewarding achievement so to say that you know this is just what we're describing as well you know this is just a perspective a flawed perspective that we're describing of life as a game no it's that in corporate life in your uh, personal life, in medicine, in health, and all of these things, they are designed, specifically designed, in order to have specific incentives. For not only incentives, just to, to
to have you consider a product or, or consider a choice, but to very much push you in a direction and to make sure that you're not straying too far away from the main quest, right? That you're not going off the track in Mario Kart. That you have the, I don't know, I don't remember his name, Lockto or whatever, that the guy who's on the cloud come and pick you up and put you back right on the track and saying, oh, you know, maybe you have a little fun going off the track. Maybe you, you have a little shortcut here, but this is really how you play the game. Lockadoo. Lockadoo. There we go. <laughs> um, Yash, if you, if you want to say anything else on, on top of what we're, we're describing. No, yeah, I think I think you, the both of you, have actually just summed it up perfectly. And life essentially just boils down to role playing and gamification. And you can see that in almost every element of life. And I'll just give you an example from, uh, sort of from my life. It's like when you go into school, um, you you have objectives within uh, your school day. So like complete this assignment, do. Um, this test get get good grades and you have like a macroscopic goal that you're focusing on and once you finish that um you know you essentially have to role play such that you fit in within societal norms if you get what i'm trying to say so like say for example you're going to be an investment banker there's a certain way investment bankers behave so before you even become one in university, you're actually going to learn how to sort of role play and sort of fit into the mold of an investment banker. Same goes for uh, medicine, uh, lawyers. In fact, even more so for uh, uh, medicine and uh, law students because you have sort of uh, simulated uh, court sessions. I forget the name. Uh, what's it called? Moot. I think it's moot where you just... Uh, uh, pretend like you're taking a case or for medical students you role play where you have a patient who's an actor who comes in and says oh I have so and so disease so what what do I do so essentially whatever we discussed I think is sort of um, an, an uh, interesting way to look at things but then again obviously you're gonna have people who are gonna disagree with the way we uh, sort of approach the topic and with the perspectives we have but at the end of the day, you know, that's just life. And, um, yeah. Well, I mean, those people me. would just be wrong. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't just say that, right? That's, that's politically incorrect. Uh, I absolutely can't. Yeah, I mean, Especially since hey. this is my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you pulled out, uh, okay, fair enough, man. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's, that's yes. all for me. Yes, yeah, I actually uh, was really curious to hear about your... Um, to to maybe see if you had any uh, you had any application of, of these ideas like from from medical med school specifically, um, right? Because uh, I I remember actually like the really the seeds for this episode were sown like a whole year ago, right? When we had that conversation yeah. about like why on earth it was that that people some like so often feel like NPCs, NPCs. in a video game, yeah, right? Yeah. Is like is like these like people are not don't seem to be living intentionally and are just sort of like following like the, the rules of the game in terms of how they Correct. speak and what they do and, and what they care about, right? So yeah. I was wondering if you maybe could give some direct examples of that uh, from your med school experience. In terms of people behaving like NPCs or like the elements we discussed, such as gamification and role play? Well, even like, 
um, like you've talked to me before about how you were so surprised that there were so many people in med school who like didn't care about other people. Yeah, yeah, but okay, well, but I guess that would just boil down to like expectations, right, bro? Like it, it, people go into med school not always because they want to help other people, but because they want to fulfill expectations that are set out by their parents or relatives or loved ones or whatever and then you have like a certain group of people in medical school who couldn't who really couldn't care about patients and all they're in it is for the prestige money or both or the or clout you know but and and then all but see all of that is like playing into the game right and it's like even Uh, if these expectations are are coming from from like like your family members or whatsoever like the their ideas of like what make sense to achieve or, or to go and do like all of this stems from these ideas of like oh going and like achieving prestige in a video game or achieving mm. uh, honor or getting a high ranking on the leaderboard or or accomplishing like this side quest or or what whatever right yeah and it's yeah. like this conversion of these aspects of society uh which formerly were very community-based right it, it, like like the 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 origins of healthcare is is in is in the communities. Like you would have a member of your community, whose you know focus would be taking care of everyone else in the community. Like that's the whole exactly. point. It was never Confession. about, or at least it really wasn't supposed to be about, you know, money or honor or mm. this kind of thing, right? And right, yeah. it's like, sure, that might have happened in the past, but the conversion of that to a wide scale thing, uh, to a a sort of fundamental and and like a given thing in today's society um, is very much due to the gamification of society and the conversion of the things that of like all these previously cultural aspects of life into just um, things to earn uh, things to achieve things to buy like you know uh, I think that's that's very fundamental to it all yeah Actually, now like, that you brought because... that up, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Go. Yeah, no, I think now that you brought that up, that sort of reminded me of like conversations that I've had with different people. So obviously, well, in my batch of medical students, we have around 350, 400 medical students that are set to graduate in 2025, right? And obviously, all 450 of them, we are we're different in certain ways, but most of us have uh, are united by a specific goal which is to help people out which is to treat patients but then again you have this minority of people uh, that don't really care about uh, treating patients don't really care about how much pain a patient is in but they're more focused on sort of how many patients they treat or uh, you know uh, how many operations they can uh, perform obviously we're all year one so it's not as um, advances that but you can see the way they think and they're gonna head down that pathway and it sort of reminded me that uh, of this one conversation that I had with this guy and he, he just straight up told me that you know what I don't really I couldn't really care much about patients and to be honest the reason as to why I got into medicine because uh, was because it seemed like the easiest way to sort of get uh, respect in society. Obviously, he didn't say it explicitly, uh, but this is sort of what I inferred from it. And I think, uh, you know, like, fair enough to you. I don't agree with the way you think because I'm in it for a very specific reason. 
and going in for a, a reason that is almost opposite to what we are um, sort of made to believe when you go into medicine. But having this conversation sort of um, opened my eyes as to the sort of people that exist. And I think that it's very apt to this topic that we're speaking about today, because like you said, gamification, uh, you have you know, certain traits associated with a certain profession and certain benefits to being in a certain profession, which could, you know, sort of, if you boil it down, it kind of does look like a video game where, you you know, you choose a character and, um, you know, you have, like, abilities that this character can perform. But, uh, yeah. I think it's really important that uh, in this episode, we really delve into what this means on an individual level right because i think it's not just like the distinction of like whether you care about people or not um but it's like even you might think that you care about people but if you're just like playing the game then how intentional are those feelings you know what i mean it's like correct yeah like every there it's so it's so popular now especially for the middle to upper class to say things like oh i care about you I'm so interested in your mental health. Exactly, you know, yeah. it's like uh, every everyone is valuable and everyone is attractive and everyone, you know, and it's like, it's so shallow and it's so fake. And that comes out of this idea of you're not really doing and saying these things because you truly believe them. You might think mm-hmm. that you do, but you're really just playing into this idea of the game. You're playing into this idea that you are the protagonist of your yeah. own storyline, right? It's like you're the hero and you're, you're going to, you know, you're gonna play the role and you're gonna save everyone. And exactly. and the reason you can tell that this is so shallow is because people aren't willing to make sacrifices for the things that they say, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's like people might say they're in medical school to, to help people, but they're still going to charge exorbitant rates when they come out to be a doctor. And you know, right. they're, they're still gonna to try to, you know, or whatever, right? And it's like, like people say like they care about strangers on the internet, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, they still log off and then go and live their own life. You know, they're not going to make concessions or sacrifices for these strangers that they've met online, right? Exactly. Well, can I say something real yeah, quick yeah, yeah, to that? Absolutely. I think this is something that um, uh, I've thought out, thought about recently is that in order to appear as an empathetic human, uh, to appear as like a, a caring individual, you say certain things and you less on the do certain things. You say a lot of you say certain things like, oh, I love you or I really care about you. Uh, I appreciate it. You use these kind of language. Um, and even in your in your everyday life, I, I know that when I was at uni, um, you know, even even the guys that because this is that kind of like air, this is a culture of um quote-unquote mental health of acceptance um of living your life and acknowledging others and you say i love you you know i I care about you but when the rubber meets the road when it comes down to making a concession when it comes down to being there for another person um even in something small especially in in small things um that language doesn't follow through but no and and this happens to everyone um and i'm not saying that like being hypocritical in and of itself is a result of like playing the game but 
I feel like, I, I don't know, Kale, what do you think? Like, there is some kind of game here in, like, appearing as an empathetic person and appearing as a caring person, when in actuality, you're kind of just, like, checking, you're using the language. You're, like, you're using the correct lingo. You are, quote-unquote, doing the right things, saying the right things, but when it comes down to making actual, like, intentional choices, they're either avoided or they'll, like, the, the choice will just be kind of, like, going with what everyone thinks. Well, see, this is the fundamental difference between real life and like a role-playing game. It's like when you go and play like a stupid video game, you have a tutorial UI. You know, you have like a bunch of cues for where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. Uh, and in real life, uh, a lot of things take on that sort of farce. But in the intricacies of individual life, um, in the in the you know in the the dirtiness of of real interpersonal interaction and friendships and relationships, you don't really have that, right? All you have is a general guide of you're supposed to be nice and you're supposed to, you know, do certain things for the other person. But there is no guide on how to navigate the difficulties of a real relationship. Like how to be a real friend. Yeah. For like yeah, an actual exactly. being like an actual if, person. If, 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 real if, <laughs> if your personality and your actions are are indebted to or rely on like like all of these like different cues to operate it's like you're, if you're just like a robot that follows all the directions that come your way then like you have no idea how to act in a genuine or honest way right and so yeah. you know that's exactly why nobody has any idea how to have like a romantic relationship right it's like everyone gets into romantic relationships and then they just fall apart but it is not i'm not even saying this like to be funny or as a joke and it's like this happens to everyone everywhere um and it just happens over and over again and people don't understand why right and it's like it's like what it's like it's no wonder that everyone just has mental health issues everyone has everyone is just sad all the time uh, everyone they is feel like they don't have meaning or like purposeless or imposter syndrome or something like that. Everyone feels that like the people in their lives don't care about them. And it's like all across the board, everyone is actually just intuitively correct, right? Everyone is just right. No one cares. Uh, no one is interested. And the fundamental thing is that you don't care and you're not interested. You just don't understand that, right? And it's like everyone is playing this stupid game where, where everyone loses, um and and they really don't understand why you're not um, wrong bro you're not wrong but dang man who hurt you i know bro? that i'm Johnny. not wrong that's why we're talking about this on this episode man you, you know you need a hug um, you need a hug bro yo i don't need a hug because i do live intentionally you know <laughs> i i i don't live in a game right so mm. i don't i literally don't experience all of these things yeah right yeah and this is like not an exaggeration Right? No, you're right. I don't experience all of these these things. I don't experience. Um, I it's been a long time since I experienced anything like like depression or imposter syndrome or or you know all, all these things. And it's like it's like people, you know. And it's like all, all it takes is like living intentionally, right? Yeah. I, I, and and I'll try to like get into exactly what that sort of means because, and you know, I'm sure we there's, there's no way we can cover it in 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 this episode because yep. it's something that we literally not joking have spent hours talking to people about recently yeah. um, but it's like this is so crucial and critical to understand um, yep. 
and I think we're going to get more into what this looks like for an individual level and what you can do to start thinking about what that means for your life. Um, But I do want to talk about first this idea of no winners um, because it's not true uh, to say that no one is winning because the whole point of the game design is to make some people win, right? And it's idea of like, Everyone needs to go and participate within the system. They need to go and uh, go to school. They need to go and uh, populate all of the different industries. Um, the the middle class or upper class needs to populate, uh, and the the lower class needs to depopulate. All of these ideas of central planning and 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 how the world is run. All of these goals and. Uh, quests which are are set for the general populace like this is determined by the people who control society who the people who run the governance right and so the whole point is that everyone has to go and play their game because it is designed and contrived for them to win right they create the game that people participate in right and then they are the ones who benefit it that, that that's the whole point right and it's like they need you to go into school and to go and populate all their industries so that they will make money from those industries, right? It's like really very simple. It's like they need to control your life and control the things that you care about to ensure that um, uh, like life doesn't fall apart in like the post-religious, post-modernist landscape um, to maintain levels of cultural of, of culture, to maintain levels of consumption. Like really everything... A huge part of it is is consumption, right? And it's like what you like and and what you care about and what you consume, all of that is very gamified, right? Because it induces you into a cycle of consumption. Um, you, um, what's an example, Jonathan? Well, I'm thinking if you if you and this may not be um, what exactly you're thinking, but I'm thinking what you consume um, has rewards and benefits um in that it's 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 cool to consume popular music it's cool to be like in on that culture um and if you're not watching the shows you're not listening to the music you don't know who's who um in the culture then you're looked as oh like why are you like antisocial? why are you not like with the program but people who are plugged in they're seen as like, oh, okay, you're cool. You know what's up. Use TikTok, cool. You know how to do TikToks, cool. You know how to do all the dances, all right. So it's like there is this consumption. It's not only consumption in in the sense that like you can just consume anything, but it's p- particular things that you are pushed to consume. And as a result of you being pushed to consume, you have these reward feedback loops yeah yeah that's exactly right and it's like this it's this whole thing it's like it's like if you play like an mmorpg and you see someone who has like spent like ten thousand dollars on the game then he has like all of like the six skins and like the the player name flair and like the he has like the emotes and the dances and he has like all of like the sick moves um (laughs) and like the special you know all that crap right and it's this whole idea of like you need to participate within the system to like get this clout so that like other people can look at you and be like, oh that oh oh you're you're cool, right? And it's like, it's like if if you're sitting there right now and you think like, oh I'm not subject to this kind of conditioning. It's like so 
so clearly not true and demonstrated by the fact that of how much like effort and money that people are willing to spend not not only on games but like on anything else right and it's like it's like everyone is is sucked into this cycle of consumption where like people don't even think that I don't, people don't even think that like like stuff like Marvel and Star Wars is that good. I think they, you know I think people are just regularly convincing themselves that it is, you know. And it's like I I, I sh- maybe some people would like do generally believe that it's, it's. But it's not it's not only whether or not it's good or whatever. But in where's the intentionality here? Is if you ask like a Marvel fan or like a Star Wars fan, like what do you like about Star Wars or Marvel? I think nine out of ten times you're gonna get the same exact spiel from the fan, or maybe even more than that. Yeah, Nin- yeah, yeah, Ninety-nine yeah, yeah. Yeah, out of a hundred, yeah. the exact yeah. same spiel. And maybe there's only one person out of all of them that gives out an extremely thoughtful, personal, mm. thought-provoking answer mm. of why they are a fan or why they appreciate something. But for everyone else, it's all just kind of like they're they're recycling, reusing this jargon of why they like it. Oh, I like it because it's cool because um, they're super personal and relatable because I like how they talk about uh, modern issues or something like that. Where it's like basically, and it's not like they all came to that conclusion themselves. <laughs> they're coming to this conclusion as a result of marketing, as of, of watching the commercial, of watching what's perceived in the commercial, and they'll internalize it, and they'll regurgitate it. And that's why they like it. Well, it's not just that, but you have to play the role of liking the correct things so that you can have, like, the dopamine hits of, like, going to your friends who, and, like, you all like the same thing, mm-hmm, and then you can mm-hmm. all, like, high-five each other about how much you like the same thing, right? <laughs> um, you know, it, uh, yeah, it's like... It's this idea of gamification of society is just intrinsically tied down to um, the prevalence of just like trash culture, right? And it's like a culture which is not produced to have meaning or to um, to truly display um, authenticity and sincerity of, of, of art creation or music creation. And um, it's just it's just culture produced with like the minimum uh, the minimum necessary effort to like reap the most amount of money possible right and it and and so they 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 pitch it to you as something like really cool and being really meaningful and they pitch it to you like oh everybody else is doing it so you have to do it too um but in reality it's just participating in the game right it's like when you participate in a game and they have you know it's like all these side quests that you have to do and it's like it's not quote unquote necessary but people do them anyway it's like a big group therapy session with everyone yeah involved. or something like that you know and it's like oh well because you you can do the side quest of your friends and it's gonna be super fun because you can you know you're gonna like achieve something to you're gonna experience it together and it's all about it's about it's all about you know having this shared experience rather than you know how much do people actually know about stuff like music stuff like art you know and it's like yeah. uh, it's like people say like they like art and then have never been to an art museum in their life you know, people say they like music and and then no, don't know a lick of art history past, like, 2005. Who, who was singing 2005? It's like, it doesn't even matter, right? Um, uh, and, Joe, and can I say something really whole, quickly, though? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah, sorry, bro. But, um, like, you know, whatever we've discussed, at the end of the day, it essentially boils down to con- uh, conforming in society, doesn't it? Because, like, you... Everyone has 
like expectations from something like we spoke about Marvel and comic books and whatnot. So the reason as to why 99 people out of 100 say the same thing is because they want to conform to you know what society the sort of expectations that society sets. Obviously you can be like, "Oh yeah, I like the I like the Punisher more than um, Spider-Man because he uses guns." And somebody else might argue with you that it's morally wrong because he's a superhero and whatnot, but that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, all these superheroes or all of these people within, you know, I, I'm just I'm just talking about the Marvel Universe specifically, but this applies to everything. Um, they have been created such that it appeals to the, uh, you know, the mass population. And at the end of the day, the, uh, the mass population is sort of fulfilling their role by conforming to what society has set for them. So I thought I'd just really quickly add it there because I I thought it was appropriate. Yeah, you're you you know you're spot on. You're absolutely right. Um, the the whole the whole thing here is that because of the structure of society and the way that everything is laid out, everything exists within the game. You know, whether it's it's music or or movies or Instagram or or TikTok or Reddit whatever right it's all a part of the game and it's all a part of this structure um because people perpetuate the game regardless you know if if, if they don't realize that they're they're playing the game then when they go around and play the game then they're imposing that game structure on everything right and it's this idea of like you know there's all this pressure to do certain things um and whether that comes from directly from the mouth of, of the, the game devs himself or it comes from other players, as long as that pressure is there, the game is operating as intended, right? Um, and so we've talked about the origins of the game. We've talked about the impact of the game on normal culture, um, and but we have only touched briefly on this idea of living intentionally and escaping the game on an individual level. Um, and like I said before, I don't know if it's possible for us to really flesh out this topic or idea within this episode. You know, uh, I try to keep it down to two hours and we're already reaching maybe the one and a half, one and three quarter hour point. Um, so look, here's the thing, right? Everything is a game. Everything is intended to be a game, but life itself is not a game, right? You are not a game player or an NPC or anything by any other means than your own volition. And it may have been something that you opted into. It's most likely something that you opted into without really thinking. Like I said, everything is is intentionally painted to be in your self-interest to be what is natural and 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 just what happens and what people do right but again none of that is fundamental none of that is a part of your human nature you are just a person right and so our point is that our point is not to, 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 to completely remove yourself from society, right? Our point is not to be like an ascetic monk living in the Alps by, by your lonesome, 
Okay, our point is not that you have to not like pop culture or not like this form of music or not like this movie or that movie, it, whatever. The whole point is that you like what you like and you do what you want and you 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 are a person in and of yourself and you do all of those things not because of what society wants to do and what the game is trying to get you to do but you do it because um you you do it because you want to do it right that's our point of intentionality that's our point with with being an individual uh uh you know, it's it's sort of this idea of the game might be telling you what to do, but that doesn't that doesn't obligate you to do what the game wants you to do, right? It's like you can load into a game like like I don't know, like GTA, and you can wander around and never for a second ever touch any of the things that the developers intended you to do in terms of game progression. And obviously, this is a ter- this is not. A holistic or a good analogy but I'm just trying to get at I'm just trying to to, to to penetrate what I'm trying to describe here because when you have been living within a nature you when you have just been conditioned to see things a certain way and to understand things a certain way for so long it is just so difficult to imagine that being flawed or, or, or to imagine doing things in, a, in another way or or doing things in another light. I I cannot give you a, a, a to-do list of of things to do to escape the game. Right? There this is not like a a like an alternate ending for the for the storyline. Right? It's like it's like if I if I was to give you a list of things to do then I would just be I would just be offering you another side quest to do. The whole point. Caleb's how to how to be a real person. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the whole point is that I can't tell you what that means for you, right? You have to come to an understanding of that yourself, right? But the whole point of this this episode is not to tell you that your life is meaningless, is not to make you feel hopeless, right? But it's to give you an idea of what you're missing out on and what you can have for yourself, and to and to sort of get you on that path to to finding. Um, to understanding what it means to simply be to simply be rather than playing a role within this fake and contrived society um Jonathan do you have anything to say at this time yeah I think that um I just really want to make clear that liking popular things um or, or games or music or movies like honestly we really don't care whether or not you like that if or not um, but the point is that if you like whatever if you consume whatever that do it with with some kind of intentionality even if the intentionality is acknowledging that it's trash and that you're just consuming it for the heck of it like that's better than co-opting a false response that like oh I'm I like it because you know the it's really well made or something like that. no no just like just say you like it because it sucks and because it's like easy to listen to or easy to watch or something like that like like we're not trying to be elitist here and saying like well you know you got to have a highbrow appreciation of art and literature and don't don't read all the 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 crap like again we we frankly don't care if 
because if you like it then that's you you know like who am i to say if you like whatever um but out of out of respect for for you as a viewer um out of care for you as a viewer we would urge you to think about the things that you like the things you consume how life has kind of like gamified how you play into the game and think about where or how much intentionality is there or or not there um because like caleb said if at least for for caleb personally and for me personally in thinking and appreciating things intentionally um a lot of this weird dissonance between real life you know like interacting with people and the fakeness of the systems that we inevitably have to deal with. That kind of dissonance um, is not aggravating. It's not, it is irritating, but it doesn't get to me because there is an understanding that these things are contrived, that these things are fake and that I'm participating in these things willingly as a result of that, not because it's really real like the leveling up system is really real no i'm just participating in it because it's acknowledgement that this is what i have to do or this is what i am choosing to do to participate in this we we, we sort of touched on this at the end of our last episode on design you know and, and we talked to david about um his familiarity with the design industry but the reality is that you know if you're going to work in any kind of industry whether it be you know, accounting or law or medicine or business or, you know, engineering or, or whatever, right? At the end of the day, all of this is structured, like we said, as a game. At the end of the day, you're going to be exploited and you're going to be expected to exploit yourself, right? Like that, that is the game, right? That is the whole point. But the, the, what we're trying to get across to you is not that you need to like become like and like a a communist and go and live like a communist commune and 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 like never do work for the rest of your life right that's absolutely 100 percent not what we are trying to get across to you our point to you is simply that you need you know if, if you you want to do what you want to do then you know hell yeah go and go and do that thing right go and work whatever job it is that you want to do it but you do it because you know you want to do it do it with that that level and that layer of sincere intentionality instead of you know just going along with the game and it's like oh well i need a job so i i need to play along the game and you know i i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna follow the the career progression line and go and do all of these things and i'm just gonna like play along with the game uh as they you know as they condition me into like unhealthy hours and 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 unhealthy work lifestyle and they make me listen in all of these like workshops whatever i don't care okay the point is not that you can't participate in these structures the point is that you participate in them intentionally and that you maintain your humanity you maintain your personhood against the the pressure to give it up Right against the pressure to merely become a, a drone and to embrace the NPC lifestyle of like of like maximum efficiency, min maxed, uh, you know, maximum productiveness, uh, mental health for the sake of your 
working productivity, all, all, all of this crap, right? Um, the point is that you understand what that means and understand what it's for. Um, and in so doing, have the personal ability and capacity to like weather that storm, right? It's like a question of like, are you swept away by the waves or, you know, are you floating? Uh, are you like riding them? Right. Um, yeah. Yash, do you have uh, anything to say? Um, well, yeah. Yash, anything to say? Well, I think a lot has been said already. And what I'm going to say right now is it's definitely been, you know, we've discussed it in the past. People know about it. And it's going to be borderline cliche. But I think it's good to remind ourselves that life is what you make of it. So live it with purposeful intention, right? It's Life isn't binary. It, it isn't all about ones and zeros, like you said, mins and maxes. It's it's a whole spectrum and whole area of emotions, experiences, and thoughts and processes. So live life with a purposeful intention. And I think personally, it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, where you come from, have passion, be passionate about something and have the passion to live for something. You need to, you need to have enough passion such that you live for something to the point where you're willing to die for it. That's all I think you need to have. Because it doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether you like, I don't know, you know, reading books. Do you truly like reading books or do you read books because you want to be perceived as intelligent? You know? And and if you go out with your friends, do you order a beer because you truly like beer? Or it's because you're afraid um, to order a porn star margarita because your friends are going to call you girly? It doesn't matter what it is. At the end of the day, as long as you have passion for something just undying passion just own it and you'll be fine hell yeah um, that's it I think yeah I, I think I think we wrap it up there I don't think I could have uh, capped it off better myself um, again uh, I don't uh, I don't pretend to think that this was necessarily completely thorough I don't pretend to think that um, we're going to be changing lives with two hours of audio um, but uh, if you want to talk about this more I'm perfectly happy to uh, talk to anyone who has been listening to this podcast um, you can contact me on Instagram uh you know, if you if you know me through Yash, you can always ask Yash um, for his contact. If you don't know who I am at all, which would be interesting, uh, Caleb Chira underscore on Instagram. I believe my DMs are open. Go ahead and message me. Um, but yeah, look, uh, you know, we're not here to like shit all over your life. You know, we're here because we sincerely want to offer you the opportunity to make it something better um, and to understand more about the unfortunate society that we live in. Uh, thank you so much if you have listened with us all the way up to this point. It'd be really unfortunate if you listened to the first 15 seconds and then gave up or 15 minutes and gave up, you know, whatever. Um, again, thank you so much for listening. Um, 
hopefully we'll be putting out more episodes uh, before the summer is over like a, a fair amount more um, yeah. but you know we'll see what happens uh, thanks again to Yash and Jonathan for joining me for this one thanks for having me here thanks for having me bro and uh, hopefully the, the audio is good for this one we'll see um, we will see you all in the next one goodbye <laughs>